Well, good to be back together with this family. Amen? Family? Let's pray. Father, we need you. And um, Lord, we need your word. And uh, as we're in the habit of confessing here, we need our daily bread, God. That super substantial, supernatural bread from God, your word. Won't you feed us? We're your people. Um, we need you. So Lord, come. Come in your power. Come in your presence, we pray. Amen. Amen. Got a question for you. Why are you here? Wow. That's quick, Sean. To love God. Why are you here? Say it. Love each other. Love the lost. Why are you here? Save the nations. Yes, God can do that in a day. Why are you here? Okay, worship Jesus. Love it. Why are you here? Out of obedience. Praise God. Why are you here? Fellowship. Say it again. Set the broken free. Fellowship. Sorry, yes, both. Yes, sorry. Everyone can say it again. Fellowship. Set the broken free. Why are you here? To see the glory of God. To see the glory of God. Ooh, Shekinah glory. Fill this place. Why are you here? Praise God. He's purchased us, bought us back. He's redeemed us. Why are you here? To celebrate Him. Amen. Celebrate Him. Good stuff. Why are you here? Hallelujah. Yep. What does it say in Acts? It says, we repent and times of refreshing come. Good. Why are you here? Whoa, whoa. Stereo. Here, start here. Get hungry. Actually, yeah. Get more hungry for God. Love each other. Praise God. Why are you here? Amen. Lord, let's give it back to you, what he's given to us, what we can. Why are you here? Because he died. Died for you and me. Why are you here? Advance his kingdom. Wow, this is good stuff. Why are you here? Because he lives. Love it. Way to go, church. Wow. I didn't think that would last. Wow, that was good. <laughs> I didn't know if anyone would answer. This is great. Well, with um, Valentine's Day around the corner, if you'll just permit me a small word from a famous tale to get us going about why we're here. We're talking about the state of the church. We're going to get started today. I have a feeling I got, I got too much here. This might have to last a couple of weeks if you're okay with that. We're going to talk about God's plan for the church. With Valentine's Day, it reminds me of a tale. It started out as a tale in the 1700s in France called Beauty and the Beast. You look up there, that's what the beast used to look like in the old days. Pretty nasty, huh? Kind of a lizardy guy. But about 20 years ago, Disney came around and said, hey, let's change this up a little bit. And you're probably more used to these images when you think of... Beauty and the Beast. But let's recall the story, right? Beauty, Belle, she is captive in the castle of this beast in exchange for her father. Her father originally had gotten captured by him, but the beast allowed an exchange where Belle could stay at the castle with him if, and then he allowed the father to go. Belle was held captive. She wasn't supposed to go into a certain wing of the castle, but she found that Enchanted rose, that as the petals are dropping, if the last petal will drop before 
the beast's 21st birthday. He would remain a beast because he actually was a prince, as you know. When she finds that enchanted rose, the beast goes into a rage, throws her out. As she's thrown to the castle, wolves come and attack her, and there the beast rescues her. And then the story really starts to get fun. As you recall, the beast starts to take care of her wounds, nurses her back to health, and Belle starts to realize there's some, something about this beast that's a little different. The beast allows her to see his great library. And of course, Belle is an intellectual, bored with the parochial life. Maybe some of those Disney songs are starting to kick in, right? <laughs> that opening song. <clears throat> and then, probably this one will get the real song going. The Beast romances her with an incredible meal. Anyone got Be Our Guest in your, your minds there? Incredible meal. And then probably the most greatest act of the beast is he lets her go. When she realizes through the magic mirror that her father's in trouble, the beast says, you can go, relinquishing all hopes for him. Well, as the story goes, they'll end up back at the castle. The one who's in competition for Belle's love, this guy Gaston, ends up mortally, it seems, mortally wounding the beast. And it's in the throes of that wound that Bell comes to him and says, I love you. I love you, beast. And the spell is broken. And we have the prince. Now why do I go at great length to share this story? It's for this reason only. If Bell had not changed her low opinion of the beast, if somehow in this story Bell had never seen who the beast was, she would have missed her prince. And I wonder, church... If our low opinion of the church keeps us from being all that God has us to be. Now I feel like I'm preaching a little bit to the choir after the introduction right there. You guys all have a great vision of why we're here. And yet there's more. Okay? And yet there is more. And if we don't get God's vision and His understanding and His heart for what He has the church to do and be on the earth, we're going to miss all that He has for us. What has your been your experience been with the church? Has it been, it's just a beast that I have to tolerate, you know? Has it been not that great of an experience for you? Or is it a place where you are finding the life of Christ? You're getting knit into relationships and where you're on mission with Him, a mission that's way greater than anything you could have created for yourself because that's the design. Church is made up of people, as you know. People are broken. We have tough experiences. Structures are broken. Things are discouraging, I realize that. And if I figure as many people as there are in this room, there are broken experiences with the organization of church. But God's vision for the church is so great. It's His, as some Christian leaders have said, it's His plan A. Do you realize that in this dispensation there is no plan B for how Jesus is getting revealed to the earth today? It is through the church. Amen? What is your opinion of church? Is it too low? If it's too low, let's get it corrected. Let's look at some scriptures together and say, what is God's heart for the church? Amen? All right, turn with me to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, we're getting a little blueprint of church. And as we're doing this, we're also doing a little state of the church address here. Our church is four and a half years old. We're going to look at together where has God brought us 
And what does God have for us? What other frontiers do we need to be after as we have this awesome adventure together? Isaiah 52, I'm going to start in verse 4. Now remember, this is Isaiah about 600 years before Christ, but he's talking about God's heart for the people of God. And probably unbeknownst to Isaiah at times, he's actually prophesying on multiple levels, right? He is prophesying about the immediate, the people he knows, but he's also prophesying about the people of God to come. You and me sitting in these chairs. Isaiah had it in his heart as he preached this word. Might not have known it, but by the Spirit of God. It goes all the way down the centuries to you and me. Start with me in verse 4. We're getting a picture of the church today, and we're getting God's purpose today for the church. A famous man I know named Jonathan Frizz. Where is Jonathan? See here? He just walk out? Okay, Jonathan Frizz, he says, church is relationships with a purpose. Everyone say purpose. Everyone say relationships with a purpose. That's church. And I have a feeling because the way things are going today, we're just going to do the purpose part. We might have to take a couple Sundays after this to get to the relationships part. But let's look at the purpose part. Okay. Four. Verse four. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. He's given us a little history lesson here. My people used to be in Egypt several hundred years before this where they were in bondage, slaves to the Egyptian people. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them, right? These are Isaiah's contemporaries. It's Isaiah 52, verse 4. And his contemporaries have been taken, right? They've been taken away, carried off to Babylon in Assyria. Assyria is now oppressing my people. They're in bondage again. And what now, what now, excuse me, and now what do I have here, declares the Lord? For my people have been taken away for nothing. And those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. Now before we get to the good news of the purpose of God, we need to have a little sobriety check. And I read this, and my heart grieves with God because I see the church, us, and we still, we have a lot of bondage that we're in. And we're not experiencing the fullness of God that He has for us. And it's killing us. Okay? And there's got to be a transformation. There's got to be a change. So I'm just going to lay the heavy on first a little bit to us, you know? With the men, it's the sexual addiction thing is killing us, okay? It is destroying us. How diabolical is it that in the last 15 years, you know, what, what, what you used to only be able to get by going to a shop and really having to walk through the shame of walking into that shop is now available on your cell phone in two seconds. You can get to destruction. And I'm telling you guys, and I know the stats say it's more and more ladies too. If we don't get after the sexual addiction thing, we will stay in a place of not being fully useful to God. So God have mercy on us, right? What does it say? It says, the people have been taken away for nothing. And that's what porn is. It's nothing. Those who rule them mock. We're getting mocked by the enemy because we're unable to get ourselves out. And it's killing us. And we need to see a move of God here. We need help from God. And then we wonder why the world sees no power in the church. What does it say? It says, all day long my name is constantly blasphemed, right? The world, the stats between the world and the church are no different. We're just in as much bondage as they are and we need help. For the ladies, and again, I don't want to be so gender specific. Some guys too, but for the ladies, 
So much anxiety over food and body image, and it's killing us too. Because your ladies aren't free to just be who they are and stop judging themselves and judging each other so harshly. And it's squashing your joy. And you need to find out the beauty that God has created you to walk in. It's killing us a little. And then all sorts of other things. Things that are other subtle. Subtle things that are squashing us. Right? We have fear. Or there's mammon. You know, we t- as John mentioned, we talked about tithing and giving. And, and uh, some of us are so in bondage. And it is tough economic times, but we're in bondage to mammon, right? To money. That's really our God. And we're not free enough to see all that God wants to do. Fear of man, right? Fear of man. We're not, we're not fully free to do all that God has us to be doing. God help us. <clears throat> and I can't get on to the purpose unless I say this first. Because here, our little band here of 150, we need to see a move of God setting us free, delivering us from some of the bondages so we can walk into all that God has for us. And the good news is we got an answer one verse later. Okay, you're sitting there and you're wondering, well, how do I get free? I don't know exactly the specifics, but watch this in verse 6. It says, therefore, and here's our answer, therefore my people will know my name. And I don't know exactly what path God has for you. I'm sure there's accountability. I'm sure there's some healing. I'm sure there's some prayer. And there's some counseling there if you're just up in your eyeballs in bondage. But the key ingredient to the whole thing is a man named Jesus. And you will know his name. Name isn't just Jesus, Yahweh. It's not just a factual piece of information, but knowing the name of God is knowing his character and knowing his person and being intimately related with him. It's like when Kelsey says my name, you know, usually we just exchange pet names. She calls me Boo. I call her Sweet Tea. That's around the house. I don't even know actually where those come from. I mean, I actually I do know the sweet tea story. I'm not sure where Boo came from, but anyways, <clears throat> I mean, that's what we call each other. But once in a while, when we actually call each other's first name, man, there's nothing like when my wife says my name, when she says Neil. It's like deep's calling unto deep, and there's something different about when she does that. Or when Sean, my pastor, my mentor, when he says my first name, Neil, He's usually about to give me a real serious encouragement or a real serious rebuke. And there's something about when he says my name, I, there's a tension there. And so don't you know that God's desire for you is to know his name, to be intimately involved, intimately connected to him. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. Foretold what? Foretold this deliverance. God. It's God. That's what you need more of, okay? You need more of Jesus. I need more of Jesus. I know it's a Sunday school answer, but it's the truth. We need more of God to start to walk this thing out. Amen? Amen. He wants us to know his name. He wants us to be intimate with him. The answer to your problem, to your trial, is intimacy with Jesus. Now, God's going to take struggling people like you and me, people who are moving on, knowing his name better, getting free little by little, and he's going to do what we now see in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. So let's get to the purpose. We'll start with verse 7. It says, How beautiful, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. 
Isn't it beautiful what God did at McDonald's because Jeremy just asked someone, hey, can I pray for you? That's a beautiful thing. We get all wound up. Like, people don't want to hear this. They don't want to know this. But the reality is people want the good news. And it's beautiful when God shows up, isn't it? Now, listen, I don't want anyone to feel condemned when I'm, what I'm about to ask. But I just want you to think about your January. And I want to know, no one respond here, but how many of us had a chance to have that kind of kingdom-advancing question or conversation with someone? How many of you had a kingdom-advancing conversation or question for someone. And then let's think, how many of us got to share the gospel with someone, kind of, hey, this is the truth about God loves you, Jesus died on the cross for you, and you can get to know God personally, He wants to forgive you of your sin, that kind of conversation. How many of us had that in January? Listen, we need to scatter seed, okay? We need to scatter seed. Because the more we scatter seed, then the more we're going to see, see results. I'm not a rocket scientist, but I know that if we're not asking those questions, we're not having those conversations, how can things happen? But the more we do it, you know, just think of the farmer, right? The farmer scatters seed and some takes root. You know, as Jesus shared in the parable, only about one in four will actually take root. The parable of the sower and the seed. But this church will be a church that shares the gospel. The good news, because it's beautiful. For the last four and a half years, we've done a great work of gathering people who are like-minded. But it's time for us, church, to turn a corner and see growth by conversion. We have seen some, but now it's time for more. Because God wants to bust out. And so listen, during the month of March into Easter, we're just going to start looking at this thing. Lord, help us to share the gospel better. And we'll have all the discussions. How do we do it? You know, how do we do it best? How do we do it faithfully? We'll talk about it. We'll be a family learning about it together. But we have to be convinced that it is a beautiful thing when we share the good news, when we bring salvation, when we proclaim to Zion, your God reigns. Just little by little. Kelsey and I were looking at a house uh, two days ago. And as we got to know this possible potential landlord, you know, just, Wow. He's got some problems, and uh, he's, he's kind of in debt, you know, and uh, got some family issues and just a messy situation. And so Kelsey and I just said, hey, before we leave, is there anything we can pray for you? He said, well, that's really nice. And that's actually how we got to know all this other stuff. He said, well, I'm in debt. Here's some of my problems. And there's nothing like just praying for someone because then the presence of God comes down. And it's not just you and someone else having an argument about the gospel, but you pray and, the, and, and God's presence shows up. And of course, people don't have vocabulary for it, you know? For those of you guys who are with us in the fall, remember we raked leaves at one of these women's houses, and the woman had no vocabulary for what was going on, but she's like, who are you young people? I can't believe all you young people who, you know, we prayed for her, we prayed, I think, for her wrist, is that right? We prayed for her husband, and God showed up. Amen? It's good news. It's good news. We need to be a people who are sharing the gospel. Verse 8, listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. And this speaks of prayer. Watchmen, listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Now listen, I'm excited about this. There's been a coalition of willing churches that have been gathering over these last few years. We've been saying, okay, what can we do together? 
And where we're finally about to go is we're about to start. We're going to head towards 24-7 prayer together as a group of churches in the North Shore. We're finally putting meat to these bones. And, um, you know, our, our first agenda here in 2012 is to get us praying 24-2. In other words, we're going to try to pray 48 hours per week during 2012, starting March 1st, a group of churches. And so Jonathan Frizz, now he's back, you can wave. Jonathan Frizz, I mean, man, this guy's got a burden. You guys clap for Jonathan, come on. One of his great burdens is to see prayer birthed in New England. So we've been working together. And then Jonathan asked me on Monday, he says, what should our goal be? If we're going to, if we're going to start this thing, if we're going to kind of facilitate 24-7 prayer, starting with 24-2 prayer here in, 20, in 2012 as a group of churches, what should our goal be? I, I had a fleeting thought, and I believe it was from the Spirit of God. And that fleeting thought was, why not start a prayer movement that doesn't end until Jesus comes back? And then later, I found this. We're looking at Psalm 52.8, and I say, oh my goodness. Your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion... They'll see with their own eyes. Why not? Why go for anything less? Why not start something that doesn't end until Jesus returns? Now, it's already, that's not unique to us. You know, we got people in Korea who are praying that way, and China, this whole IHOP movement. And I'm, you know, my job as a local pastor, I believe in the wineskin of the local church, so I'm giving this message. But I think we can see a prayer movement started that doesn't end until Jesus comes back. Why else? Why not go for this goal? You know what I'm saying? And I call to mind. Remember our history about a few hundred years ago, 1700s, a guy named Nicholas Ludwig Zinzendorf, Count Zinzendorf. Mm, this is good. Zinzendorf, he's a, he's a, a royal type figure, right? In um, Moravia, which is now kind of the Czech Republic. And he, his parents wanted to be a diplomat. But God gets a hold of his life and he can't, do the whole diplomatic corps thing. He ends up having a whole group of people assembled on his property because he's wealthy. And these people that were assembled were people who, like him, were dissatisfied with the Lutheran Church of the day because it was so dry and all that they were talking about was historical Jesus. Now, these people had incredibly different theological backgrounds, but they were all unified in their desire to know Jesus better. And so the first thing they worked on was community. How do we live together with all our diverse theological things? How do we do this family thing? But they started to work on it. They wanted to obey seriously that John 13, 34 command, right? That if you, um, uh, a new command I give you, that you love one another, right? A new command I give you, that you love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And they worked on that. They worked in their community. And they prayed in small groups. Kind of sounds like a faith group thing. They started to pray in small groups. And God showed up. And as some historians say, they say that God showed up in such a way that there was a continuous prayer meeting that didn't end for a hundred years. And out of that movement, do you know that because of the move of God of the Moravians, the, the, the um, slums in London, the shores of America, the slave trade in the uh, Caribbean, the high courts of Russia... All sorts of people were touched by the move of God because they said, let's do a couple things right. Let's learn to love each other and let's learn to pray. And God's the one who shot people all over the earth, excuse me, earth, to proclaim his good news. Do you think God might want to do that again here? Come on, what else are we living for? I don't want to just do church. I want to see a move of God here. Is anyone with me? 
Can we do this thing together? Praise God. Let's keep going. Prayer. Nine. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Speaks of worship. Speaks of worship. You know, last Sunday when we were at... uh, Bentley University, worshiping the three of us churches together. And I, you know, one of my um, remarks from last weekend was, was just the synergy that God's doing with us three churches. I said, this is incredible. But during the Sunday morning worship in particular, I turned over to Sean Richmond, pastor, mentor, friend, and said, Sean, the worship was going. I said, this is like the garden. I mean, this is what we were made for. We were made for intimacy with the Lord Jesus. And listen, I, I, I do enjoy worship like... I'm, uh, you know, the phrase I use, I was born in Zion, so to speak. In other words, when I was in college, in my 20s, I just, my favorite place was just to be in the place of rock and worship. I don't know if maybe I'm just getting older or God forbid my heart's getting harder, but sometimes in worship, I'm just a little bit more, I'm going through my task list and I'm, I'm just thinking about, okay, what do I do next, this, that, and the other thing. But God got a hold of me last Sunday and I said, God, this is what we were made for. We were made for worship. And so as Sarah mentioned, you know, actually, she mentioned the survey. One of the most resounding things we got from the survey was that people wanted a low-structure worship time regularly. And so that's what we're going to start to do. These, these storehouse sessions we're going to start to do, I think, we'll start on Friday, February 24th, try it once a month. We're going to be low-structure, high spontaneity. We just come and worship the Lord together. Because look at what happens when we worship Burst into songs of joy together. You ruins of Jerusalem, right? My soul's in ruins at times. Your soul's in ruins. We're in ruins. But what does God do? The Lord comforts his people and he redeems Jerusalem. Man, I love counseling people. I love visiting with people. It's one of, my, it's one of the favorite things I get to do on the job. But, man, sometimes just a little, one worship session is worth 100 counseling sessions because God shifts things in our hearts as we just worship him. Amen? So we're going to take the ruins of our souls and just say, Lord, get worship tonight. Just be, be exalted and be lifted up. And God will show up. Verse 10, The Lord will lay bare His holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. I love this image. God wants to flex His muscles. Arnold, I want to flex my muscles. God wants to lay bare his arm. He wants to show off his bicep in a powerful way. And how's he going to do it? Well, he wants to do it in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. God wants to show his strength. And when I think about our church, you know, for the last several months, our leadership team has been sitting on this question. And the question has been, Lord, what is the next risk for this church? Because I feel like, me personally, just feel like we're getting a little, we're a little plateau here. What's the next risk for us? You know, when we planted, it was... Ah, you know, Lord, help us. What's going to happen next Sunday? Who knows, right? And we got a little plateau here, honestly. We just got to say, okay, God, what's the next, next risk for us? And the word that's coming back from our advisory board, the word that's coming back from the Lord as we meet together is, we need to plant a church, okay? This church, the harbor, needs to plant a church. CFI, we're working under kind of a dispensation that's this. We had Mark Buckner, one of the fathers who kind of speaks into our movement, in 2007, right before the harbor was planted, he said, you guys, CFI, 
I feel like for you guys, you can plant 12 churches in 10 years. That was, that was 07. So here we are halfway there. We're at 2012, and we're just at three. So we've got, as a, as a group of three churches, we've got seven more churches to plant in five years, and we're just saying in the Northeast. We're not counting our Tempe church, because that word from Mark Buckner is just in the Northeast. And we got, we got things in queue. We got things lined up to go, but the harbor's got a part of that. Okay, we need to plant one or two churches. Because that's what happens. And when we're on the edge of ministry, when we're on the edge of the risk, God shows up and it's wonderful. Amen? So just get ready. We're going to be working towards this. The next year or so, we need to see a team sent out, whether that's Burlington, Vermont, Portland, Maine, Montreal, Quebec, or Paris, France, or the different things that are stirring in some of our people. We've got to move towards it. We've got this increasing group of alumni from our training school that, are, that need a mission. We want to give one to them. Amen? Amen. That's what we're going to head towards. All right? And uh, you walk with us in that adventure. Now, how God does this laying bare of his holy arm, we'll start to look at next week. Okay? There's something about relationships there. I said church is relationships with purpose, or church is family on a mission. And today we just looked at a little the mission part. And next week, actually, actually the next two weeks, actually we'll be looking at the family part. Jade Carlson's going to preach next week about hospitality. Yeah, you can, come on. And then, um, and then when we're back, we'll take a little more look at relationships and how God uses relationships in the church to make this thing happen. It's how he does it. Amen? Okay. You guys stand up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Come on. Is your opinion of church too low? Is your view of the church too low? That's our question. And those who are going to serve communion, why don't you guys come on up also? Here's what I want you to process as we head towards communion. Some of us, we need to repent. Okay? Some of us need to repent for just having too low a view of the church, not realizing that it's God's plan A. If that's you, because of struggles you've had in the church. Maybe you've gotten wounded by someone in the church. You just kind of distance yourself. You just come and I'm going to invite you after you partake of the elements of communion, just to stay up here. Find a, find a place up here in the front. You just kneel before God and say, God, I repent of my low opinion of the church. And then if there are any of these other kind of the missional aspects or the purpose aspects of the church that we saw in Isaiah 52, if any of those are striking you in particular, right? If you're really kind of feeling like, wow, I'm, I'm in bondage here. I need to get out. Um, I need a deliverance here. I need... You know, I'm, 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 I've given my soul away for nothing. I'm, I'm being mocked. And, and the world's blaspheming his name because I'm not being a good example of, of, of uh, the redemption of Christ. And you just also stay up here. Let God minister to you, okay? He's got nothing but mercy and grace and power for you to be set free. If you, if you hear about the prayer mission of the church and you get excited, then, you know, just come here and consecrate yourself, Lord. Say, yes, Lord, give me a burden for prayer. I want to... I want to be a part of what God's doing in this whole prayer deal as we see, as we usher in Jesus and his kingdom. If the worship thing's getting you going, you say, yes, Lord, I want to abandon myself afresh to fresh worship of you. You come and consecrate yourself also. Stay up here after you take communion and just consecrate yourself to that. And the church planning piece. If you're saying, Lord, here I am, send me. You know, I was made for more than this. If you got that Holy discontent is what God uses to send people out at times. And you just commit yourself to the Lord also.
Okay, several different things you can hold on to as we process the Lord together, as we process with the Lord.